Thank you for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. Our mission is to create space for all people, to experience the compassionate love of the Father, and to discover the calling He has for their life. Please enjoy the message today, recorded live inside the Wilson Performing Arts Auditorium at Platte County High School in Platte City, Missouri. So I was gone uh, on a mission trip this week in Dallas, and while I was there, I thought, you know, it'd be so much easier for me if somebody else would just have a word to bring to you today. And Steve is a great communicator. He loves the Lord. He loves the Word of God. It's going to be a beautiful thing. And so uh, let me just pray for him right now. Lord, we just pray for Steve. Would you empower him today? Would his words would be your words, Lord, and that we would hear them with ears that, that not only understand them, but we would apply them to our life. Would you meet us uh, in the midst of this time? Would you meet us at the table when we come to remember what you have done for us? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brady. Well, we are finishing up. I am so honored, uh, but I have to be very honest with you. I do not feel worthy at all to be up here uh, covering what we're going to cover this morning. Uh, But Brady asked me, and I I was so honored and humbled when he said, hey, uh, will you come this Sunday? Because like he said, he was going to be traveling on the missions trip and close out the book of Acts. And of course, I I, uh, hesitated for a long time and said, well, let me think about that for a few weeks. Now, I instantly said, absolutely, be honored to. But then I realized like the last time that he gave me this wide scope of opportunity. He said, well, just take anything chapters 21 through 28 of the book of Acts. And uh, so as I started studying that, I was telling my wife, you know, I'm really struggling with where to zero in on because there's dozens of sermons that you could preach uh, from the book of Acts. And so, but this morning what I'm going to do is kind of take you through some things and pull out some things that really stood out to me about the Apostle Paul's ministry in Acts 21 through 28 which is, of course, the book of Acts is, is this recorded history that the author Luke wrote. And, and Luke was kind of a historian. And so it's a historical record of the early church when the church bursted out of the confinements of Judaism and burst out of Jerusalem and literally within one generation's time had reached all of the ends of the earth at that time. Now think about that. In one generation... One generation had burst out of Judaism and Jerusalem and had reached all of the known world at that time in just one generation. And so what I was trying to figure out is, well, what was different then that, that, maybe, uh, that maybe we don't see today? And, and what were some things? And I really started focusing in on some things that I was seeing in the life of Paul, who, of course, wrote most of the New Testament and that we refer to so much when we think about the New Testament uh, and, and the ministry, the incredible ministry that he had. And so I wanted to bring out a few things to you, but there's some interesting characters as we look through uh, Acts 21 through 28. So I wanted to take a quick survey before we get started. How many of you, um, before maybe reading, some of you hopefully you read the book of Acts as we've been going through it uh, the past few weeks as Brady's been taking us through that. How many of you know and have a good familiarity with the historical character of Felix that's mentioned in Acts? You, you know who Felix in the book of Acts is. I'm just, some of you are way back there. I'm looking for hands, not seeing many. Okay, let me try this one then. How many of you are very familiar with and know the character of Pontius, uh, Pontius Festus? Pontius Festus. 
I'm sorry, I pronounced it wrong, Porsche's Festus. And I'm not talking about a high-end luxury car, by the way. <laughs> Porsche's Festus. How many of you are familiar with Porsche's Festus? You're familiar with that character, okay? Uh, how about King Agrippa the second? How many, how many of you are familiar with King Agrippa the second? Okay, some of you are familiar with King Agrippa the second. Uh, let me try this one, the Apostle Paul. How many of you are familiar with the Apostle Paul? Interesting. So, Brady, just note there, about everybody raised their hand on that one, saw only a couple of hands on the other ones. And I'll come back to the reason why I took that survey towards the end of the message, because it's something that really stuck out to me. Because in, in, earlier in Acts, Brady talked about earlier in Acts, in, in Acts 9, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to fly through some of these things. But I think it's very important, in earlier in Acts um, 9.15, it actually, what happened is, Ananias, if you remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he was converted from Saul to Paul, the Lord gave Ananias a word to Paul. And this stood out for me. The word that Ananias gave to him is he said, this man is a chosen servant unto me. I will send him to the Gentiles. This is the part I want you to hear. To stand before governors and kings that he may bear my name before them as well as before the sons of Israel. So let me repeat that to you. Ananias, this is right after Saul was converted to Paul on the road to Damascus. Ananias, the word that the Lord gave to Ananias was that he was a chosen servant to him and he would send Paul to the Gentiles to stand before governors and kings. So that kind of stood, I was thinking about that as I was going through uh, chapters 21 through 28. And so here's some things that uh, stood out to me, um, which is, I'm just, I've got three key points that, I guess I would say are application points that came across for me from Acts 21 through 28. And the first one is, is this. The first one is, if I can get this working, here we go, is to be committed to your calling. And this morning, we are a member of what church? Okay, that was really pitiful. Let me try that again. This morning, we are a member of what church here that we reside in? The calling community church, right? So what is our calling? Well, our main calling is what? The Great Commission, right? So what's the Great Commission says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20? Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Okay, so that's our Great Commission. That's our calling. Paul took that calling incredibly seriously. The early Christians, if you study the book of Acts, as, as Brady's been taking us through this, they took that calling incredibly seriously, and that is why the early church exploded in such a short time and went to all the ends of the earth in that known time. And so a couple things I wanted to point out to you. In Acts 21, just to kind of give you some history to align things, so I'm saying be committed to your calling. In Acts 21, Paul is warned two times by Christians, by the disciples, not to go to Jerusalem because of plots against him if he would go there. The first time, 21, uh, 3 and 4, the disciples in Tyre warned Paul not to go to Jerusalem. In 21, 8 through 12, the Christians in Caesarea pleaded, they actually used the word pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So, of course, what does Paul do? He goes to Jerusalem, right? And so that's Acts 21. And And the reason why he went to Jerusalem, is because he was committing to, committed to saving his people. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. And even though it meant extreme risk to go back to Jerusalem, he went back there because he had a heart, 
a heart for his people, the Jews. So that's why he went back there, even though it might mean that he could be imprisoned or he could even be killed or executed for that. In Acts 21, 30 through 33, Paul is beaten by an angry Jerusalem mob and arrested at the temple. And by the way, my brother, he's a pastor in Florida, and recently he went on a trip to Israel. And he was sharing with me that in Israel, and I didn't know this before he shared this with me, that the main gathering place, because they didn't have auditoriums like this, they didn't have big high school auditoriums to meet, the main gathering place in Jerusalem at this time, when Paul was ministering, when he went back to Jerusalem, was actually at the steps of the temple, the Jewish temple. That was the main gathering place in Jerusalem. And so Paul is on the steps of the temple, and he is preaching in the, in Jerusalem, there in the main like city square in the steps of the temple. And what happens is the crowd gets so angry, the Jews with him, that they literally start beating him. Hundreds of people, literally a mob gathers so much so that I was doing some research on this, and historians believe that over 200 Roman soldiers were brought in to calm down the mob. Now think about how how uh, angry that mom must have been if they had to bring in basically a whole regime of soldiers just to, to get them calmed down. So they were beating Paul almost to the point of death. Now here's the interesting thing. He, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, pull him away from the angry mob. And remember, the angry mob is made up of Pharisees who he was a part of them. Because remember, when Paul was Saul, what was he doing? He was persecuting the Christians just like they were doing to him right then. And so the, the Roman soldiers pull him away. It says that they pull him into the barracks, the Roman barracks. While he's in there, he shares with the Roman soldiers. They're, they're, they are about to flog him because they think that he must be some uh, criminal or something, and that's why the mob uh, was beating him. And he shares something, which is interesting that God chose Paul. There's so many reasons it's so interesting God chose Paul because Paul was a Jewish Pharisee, he was also a Roman citizen because he was born in the city of Tarsus. So because he was born in the city of Tarsus, he had Roman citizenry. Back then, that meant he had rights. That meant that a Roman soldier was not supposed to lay a hand on him because he was a Roman citizen. Okay, He had to be brought to trial. So the soldiers had started beating him. Then they realized that he was a Roman citizen. They got scared. And so they start talking to, he shares with them he's a Roman soldier, and, he, and when they get that straightened out, this is what he says that's amazing to me, is he says, will you let me speak to the crowd? So I don't know why, it had to be only a God thing. They had just calmed down the crowd. The Roman soldiers, David, actually said, yeah, you could do that. He gets back out onto the steps. Now think about this. They had just beaten him almost to the point of death. He's so committed to trying to save his people, the Jews, that even though he was just beaten by that mob, all bonus to the point of the death that the Romans had to save him, that he goes back out there to address them, and what does he start doing? The same thing. He just starts sharing his testimony to them, preaching to them, Brady. He had just gotten beaten almost to the point of death. He's still bloody and bruised, and he stands out there in the temple, and the mob gets angry again, so much to the point they're ripping their clothes and they're kicking dust, and the soldiers have to take him away again. That's commitment. <laughs> Can you imagine? Now think about that. We don't have to worry about those things in the United States today, but can you imagine if because you came in here and proclaimed the Lord of Christ that an angry mob would come in here and start beating you? I have to admit, if I'm really honest, I, I think it would be hard for me to imagine myself bloodied up and beaten and just wanting to get back up and say, bring it, bring it on. 
And that's what he did. But it was because he was so committed. And it wasn't just Paul. It was all the early Christians. They were so committed. And he wanted to go back and, 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 uh, and obviously save the people of Israel. So then what happens is he stands on trial before the Sanhedrin in Acts 23. So they bring him the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, the high-level Pharisees, and he's brought before them. And the only thing that those, the Sanhedrin, want to do is they want to kill Paul. So they're trying to figure out how to kill Paul and do that legally. So they're trying to figure out a case where they can prove to the Romans that Paul needs to be killed so they can stop him, okay, so they can stop what he's sharing about. So he stands on trial before the Sanhedrin in Acts 23, and then the later part of Acts 23, the Jews plot to kill Paul. But interestingly, this is the only time that this nephew of his is mentioned, a nephew of Paul's, actually hears about the plot. So this is God again, right? Has this nephew. We never hear anything about him. I don't even think his name is ever mentioned, but we do know that it was Paul's nephew somehow heard the Jews talking about a plot to kill, uh, to kill Paul. And so he actually goes before a Roman soldier, shares that with them, and so they realize uh, that they need to, to protect him. And so now he becomes under the protection of the Roman soldiers again. And the amazing thing to me is that even though Paul faced insurmountable odds over and over again, uh, when you look through the book of Acts, he just stayed committed to his calling. He was committed to his calling. And so then in Acts 24, he's, Paul's accused of sedition. He's put on trial before Governor Felix. So I asked you before if you know who Felix is. So Governor Felix was the governor of Judea at that time, the Roman governor of Judea at that time. He's put on trial before Felix. Felix is perplexed, not sure what to do with the situation. Uh, he wished that the Jews would just take care of it. And so what happens, though, this is interesting, is Felix, Paul was getting, he was sharing his message to him. He wasn't just trying to defend himself. Paul was trying to share his testimony and it says, the Bible records that actually Felix and his wife met with Paul numerous times while he was imprisoned. And Felix kept Paul in prison for two years. And that's when he wrote some of the books of the New Testament. And he's in prison for two years, but Felix never does anything with him. Felix is succeeded by Portius Festus. Portius Festus, right away, as soon as he becomes the new governor of Rome, guess what the Jewish leadership does? They go right to Portius Festus. And they go to the governor, and they start bringing up the case. It's been two years since his last trial. He's been in prison all this time. And they say they bring up the case against Paul because even though he's been in prison, he hasn't been bothering them, he, they want him killed. So they bring up the case against Paul again. So now Paul goes on trial again. This time it's in front of Festus. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. When he's in front of Felix, the governor of Rome, when he's in front of Festus, they could send him away for life in prison. They could have him killed if they want to. But Paul never changes his story, the basics of his story, his conversion. What he does is he does change how he presents it to who the audience is, but he stays committed to his calling. And he keeps, even though it could mean that they're going to put him away for life. So uh, after the two years there, he, he then appeals to or is put on trial in front of Festus. Festus, again, doesn't know what to do with him. And what happens is, Festus wants to send him back to Jerusalem, but again, the Jews were plotting to kill him, so Paul appeals to Caesar. So back then, if you had Roman citizenry, you could appeal to Caesar, if you were a true Roman citizen, to have your case heard before the emperor. And guess who the emperor at that time was of Rome? Anybody know? Nero. Nero. 
who persecuted Christians. That was almost his main goal. Paul knows that he's going to go before the emperor Nero, but he appeals to Caesar, Caesar Nero, and so, so that he can go. Why? Probably going to have his life taken if he goes there, but because he knew that God had called him also to preach in Rome. And even if it meant that he went there as a prisoner, that was his calling, and so he was going to go to Rome. So he appeals to, to Caesar. So now Festus has a problem on his hands because he can't just send Paul to the emperor without a cause. And he doesn't have a cause there. Well, because he had just become the governor of Rome, the king of Judea at that time is Agrippa II. So that's that third character that I mentioned to you, okay, is King Agrippa II. Now let me bring you to who King Agrippa was. The first of the line of King Agrippa was Herod the Great. Do you all remember who Herod the Great was? Herod the Great was the king who killed all the babies in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Okay, you remember that? In Bethlehem. Now, his son, Herod's son, Herod Antipas, was the king of Judea. Remember, he was a Jew. They, they, they were all Jewish. They were from the line of Esau, though, not from Jacob, so they're Edomites. And so Herod's son, Herod Antipas, had John the Baptist beheaded. So Herod's son is the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. Now, Herod Antipas, the, or the grandson of Herod the Great, is Herod Agrippa I. This would be Agrippa II's father, obviously. He's the one who put Apostle Paul, James to death by sword. So Agrippa II's father had put the Apostle James to death by sword. So are you getting the lineage here of Herod Agrippa II's what the, his lineage is capable of and what they typically do to Christians. And Paul now is put before Agrippa for this reason. Festus, does, he knows he can't send Paul to the emperor. It's going to look like he's not a good governor if he sends Paul to the emperor without a just cause. So he asks King Agrippa because he knows King Agrippa is familiar with the laws and the traditions of the Jewish people. So he asks Paul, or he asks King Agrippa to hear Paul's case. And that's where I want to focus on some things for you here. Uh, is the second point that I had is that, and this is so critical, is that Paul had a heart for the lost. And what the early Christians had, besides committed to their calling, it wasn't just being committed, it was that they had a heart for the lost. They had a desire to see the lost saved. So if you go to chapter 26, Acts chapter 26, this is when Paul is before King Agrippa. And we don't have time for me to read everything to you, so I'm just going to highlight some things to you. But let me paint the scene. Um, Paul has a hunger in his heart to lead King Agrippa to Christ. It's not that he's trying to save himself. If you really read this, you'll figure out very quickly, it's not that Paul is trying to save himself and have King Agrippa save him from imprisonment, because actually King Agrippa can't. Because he's already appealed, Paul's already appealed to Caesar. So now Festus has to send him to Caesar. Festus is just trying to get King Agrippa to give him a reason, to help him have a reason to send him to the emperor. What is he going to say? Why he's sending him to the emperor? And he had such a heart for King Agrippa because this is what he knew. This may be, Paul knew, this may be his last chance to win the king and the people, his people, the Jews in Jerusalem. Because think about it. If he could win King Agrippa, if he could cause him to come to a knowing faith in Christ, what would that do to all the Jews in that region, especially because of his lineage? So in chapter 26, when Paul is before Herod Agrippa II, I believe with all my heart, 
he's, while he does share his defense, his primary objective, and you'll see this towards the end of the chapter, is he, his desire is somehow, some way, that he's going to help convert King Agrippa II to Christianity. And so in chapter 26, um, there's some interesting things I wanted to point out to you. First of all, in uh, verse 3, he starts out the, um, his, when, when King Agrippa says, you, permi- you have permission to speak about, uh, to your, for yourself, excuse me. Paul starts out by saying, I beg you to listen to me patiently. You know why he said, I beg you to listen to me patiently? Because, again, he was hoping to be able to turn his mind and his heart towards Jesus. Then he says in verse 6, it's because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. Now, what was the hope that God had promised the fathers? Jerusalem. Do you all know what the hope was that the Jews hoped and prayed for? The Messiah, right? And so that's what Paul was sharing. What happened was the Jews didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah. So Paul was saying, hey, it's what our fathers were promised. That's what I've been preaching, and that's why I'm on trial today. And then in verse 7, he says, oh, king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. And here's, here's a really important, the next, the next point here in verse 8. He says, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Now, he's talking, and by the way, when he says, why should any of you now, he, before that, he's poking his conversation to King Agrippa. I read a number of commentaries on this. And the wording in that, the way that he worded that to any of you, he's now changed to talking to the entire group, which are Roman rulers, Jewish leaders, and he says to the entire group listening there, why should any of you consider it incredible, incredible that God raises the dead? And that's the question for us today. Because many people don't come to a saving knowledge of Christ because they don't believe that Christ, they might believe that Christ died on the cross, but they don't believe that he resurrected from the dead. But let's go back to who is Christ? The creator, right? The son of God, the father, the creator. Now, wouldn't it be rational to think that if God created the earth and created life, that he would be able to resurrect it also? That's very rational, right? And so that's what Paul was trying to share to all the Romans and the Jews then. The Jews believed in God, but they didn't believe that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. That's why they were persecuting him, because all that he was talking about was the song we sang about. I asked our worship leader, Tony, if he'd mind. I'm sorry that you had to hear it three Sundays in a row, but I think it's an awesome song. I asked him if he'd sit, uh, do that song uh, again one more time. Ain't no grave. Because that was the focus of Paul's message and ministry. And so we have to think about it. So many people say, well, I, it's hard for me to believe that Christ was raised from the dead. But again, if he's the creator of the universe, it's very rational to believe that he could also resurrect life. Okay? So then it goes on, and uh, I'll just share a few things with you. Here, here's where he goes back to in t- verse 12. He goes back and he goes back to sharing what happened to him in Damascus. Read this real quickly, starting in verse 12. On one of these journeys, and this is what Paul is sharing with Agrippa II, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests about noon, O king. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. So he's sharing his testimony. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, and this is interesting too about Paul. 
Paul could speak Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, another reason why it's interesting that, that Christ chose him, because he could speak all the three known languages at that time. And so he said, I fell to the ground. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, I have to admit to you, the first time when they were talking about goats, I, I couldn't figure out what that was. I thought that was a funny word. But then I did some research on it and found out that back then what they used to do with oxen, you know, they would have oxen would pull. Uh, they used oxen a lot to uh, plow the ground and things like that. And sometimes if they would get, uh, you know, a little bit uh, rankous, what they would do is they'd start kicking. So what they used to do back then, they called them goats, is they had these sharp sticks that would be at the back of their feet. So if they kicked, they would hit the sharp sticks, and that would cause them to stop kicking and rebelling. And this is what God's saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And what he's saying is the same thing, is that sharp goad would stop those oxen from kicking. And he says, uh, Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me, and I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And then here's the crux of it. He says, I am sending you to them. And this is such a powerful presentation of the gospel here. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Let me read that to you again. This is... God speaking to Paul, and he says, I am sending you to them to open their eyes because they're blinded and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of their sins and a place among those who are sanctified in me. That is exactly why we worship today, right? Why we gather. Our commission, our commission is to help the people who are blind and lost to come from darkness to light, to be swept from the power of Satan to the power of God, to be taken from the power of Satan. And you know what? Even though it's over 2,000 years later, is that no so true of society today? Is so many out there, they are blinded by the lies of the devil, and they are wandering around in darkness. They don't know why things happen. They can't explain why things happen. And that's why so many people are confused, because what's happened is they're, they're listening to the lies of Satan. And what God told Paul is, I am appointing you, and he's appointed all of us. And this is what I got convicted of, to be honest with you, this week when I was studying this. This is why I was saying earlier that I don't feel that I'm worthy to be presenting this to you. But I, this is what the Lord laid on my heart, this message this morning, that if he's convicting me, maybe he's would convict some of you of the same thing. That I've gotten so focused in this world, you know, trying to build my business, trying to, or the company that I work for, taking care of the finances for my family, making sure that my family's taken care of and all their needs are met. And people that are lost are walking by me every day. They're blinded. They're confused by Satan's lies. And I'm letting them walk by. And I had a 40-something-year-old guy. He's doing a business training two weeks ago. And I shared just a little bit about God. I always pray when I'm doing a business meeting. 
And I saw him waiting. He said he was just standing back there waiting. He waited for everybody to leave the room. Training was over. It was a late training. Some of the trainings I do go late at night. And a 40-something-year-old guy, got a family. He says, Steve, can I talk to you? I'm thinking, okay, he's got a question about one of the business principles. I'd shared something about God and prayed earlier in the day. It had been hours had passed. He said, you know when you said such and such? He said, I, I had some questions about that. I wanted to ask you about that. So I started sharing with him. And Brady, I'm ashamed to admit, I stumbled. I stumbled. I, I, I was trying to, to ha- you know, I, I, I just, it didn't come clear to me right then. I, I, you know, I tried to excuse it away that I was tired. I'd been training all day for three days. It was three-day training. It was the last day of the training. And I tried to excuse the way that I was tired. But here's the thing. <laughs> I don't care if I was tired or not. If I had been having that conversation like I'm supposed to on a regular basis, Brady, it I, I wouldn't have had any challenges at all. The Lord would have dropped those words that I needed right then. And I was struggling, and I, you know, I asked him to pray, and he, I could tell he wasn't ready to accept Christ. He said, well, you know, can, can we talk tomorrow? I'm sorry, I said it was the last day. It was the second day. We had one more day of the training. He said, well, can we talk tomorrow? I said, that's great. So I, I pulled up something. I texted it to him, and I said, will you do me a favor? Read this, the four spiritual laws, okay? And so I said, will you read this tonight? And just promise me you'll do that, and then let's talk in the morning. Talk tomorrow. But I noticed the next day, every time we had a break in the training, and I'd finish talking, and we'd have a break, and I'd try to find this guy, and he was always, like, on his phone out in the hallway. Before the training ended that day, he left, slipped out the back of the door before the training even ended. Tried to call him. I've tried to call him a few times. He hasn't returned my call yet. And I'm convinced, I'm hoping that the seed was planted and I'll have that opportunity to, to bring that conversation back. But I'm convinced that because I had not been readily sharing my faith like Paul did, that I couldn't even share it to this man, farmer from Nebraska, we, our company sells agricultural products, and... Um, and I was thinking, let alone a governor or a king. How would have I stumbled if I was like Paul, standing in front of a governor or a king? I stumbled in front of this farmer guy that was coming to hear business principles, training principles, and the training program that I was hosting. <laughs> and, it, and it hit me. And I thought, okay, you know, it's, it's time. I started thinking about us as this church. God's given us this great auditorium. And why isn't it filled? Let's be honest. This auditorium's not filled because we're not doing what Paul did. Blind? Sorry. Lost people walk by us every day right here in Platte City. Think about the hundreds of people that they're blind. They're lost. They're searching for hope. 
and we have it. But we're too afraid to share it. Paul didn't care if it was a governor that could chop off his head. He didn't care if it was the king who had killed, whose family had murdered all those babies, had chopped off the head of John the Baptist, had put James to the sword. Paul knew that he had to share. That was his calling. He had to share. So if we're going to, sorry, if we're going to fill this, this church, Brady pours out his heart every Sunday, and if we're going to fill this church, what we've got to do is I hope that you all aren't doing what I, or failing like I've failed in missing those opportunities when the blind are walking by and they're searching for hope, and I've got the answer, and I don't share it with them. So the last thing that I wanted to share with you, last point here, and then i got to wrap this up, is, uh, is this third one here. Oops. Consistently put on the armor of God. You know, Justin Tyler did that awesome uh, message when he came here with the fire, uh, fire suit, and he did that great illustration of, uh, sorry, I'm like Justin, you know. He's, he's just a bigger guy, so it's, it's much more fun to watch him cry than me. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, and, you know, I was saying that was a great illustration when he put on that firefighter suit about the armor of God. Here's the thing that we've got to do. We've got to be prepared. We've got to put on the armor of God every day. Ephesians 6.10, you all have heard it so many times. But who wrote Ephesians 6.10 and talked about the armor of God? Paul, right? Here's what he said. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That means that we've got to be memorizing the scripture. We have to have those passages readily available so that we come in contact with the lost, that we don't hesitate. That it's readily available because we've got the, the truth. It's, it's in us with the breastplate of righteousness in place, that your feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith. And that's what uh, the unbeliever are going to see in us, our faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I just thought that was a powerful illustration that Justin did. But I know that sometimes people... Don't share because they're going through stuff. And we all go through stuff. But let me share something with you. Is your trial can become your testimony. Paul's trials were where he was sharing his testimony. And I know there's a lot of people in this church right now. It's just, I believe, you know, Satan's trying to attack a lot of the members of this church. There's been a lot of health issues and challenges but here's what we got to do is we got to remember something. Our trials can become God's testimony. My younger brother, he's a pastor down in Florida. He's one of my heroes. He's my younger brother, but he's a hero and to me. And, and a number of years ago, before I joined this church, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer of the colon and the liver. And they said it was very aggressive. They didn't give him much of a chance to live. He was in his middle 30s, um, had three wonderful children. And we were at the hospital in New York City. They had gone to a specialist in New York City. He lives in Florida, but he went to New York City because of the specialist there. And they were about to have this surgery. And they were telling his wife, you know, it's very aggressive. We hope when we get in there, we're going to be able to get it. But we just want you to know it's, it's a very aggressive form of cancer. 
So all of our families around him were praying for him. And he said uh, one of the nurses had kind of frustrated him because he said they were saying, man, you, you got this beautiful family, your pastor, your ministry's exploding. Uh, she happened to, I guess, be a believer. And, and she said, why? I don't understand. Why would this happen to you, this aggressive form of cancer? You know what my brother said without hesitation, Brady? He said, I'm not asking why, I'm asking what. And so I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, I'm asking what does God want me to do with this trial? How am I supposed to use this trial for his service? I never heard him say, why me? You know what happened after that? First of all, the church he's a part of, he's not the senior pastor, but he's one of the lead pastors. He's the leadership pastor there. They have like seven campuses. There's over 40,000 people every weekend attending those seven campuses. The church is just absolutely exploding, Brady. And here's the thing. The American, Red, uh, I'm sorry, the American Cancer Society has contacted him, heard about his story. They've asked him. He's been speaking in different locations on behalf of the American Cancer Society, and he always puts his faith story in there when he's speaking to these groups for the American Cancer Society. And the American Cancer Society has asked him to write a book, too. He didn't ask why. He asked what. He's turned his trial into a testimony. And so I know some of you are going through trials, but you've got to learn to turn it into a testimony. So let me wrap this thing up. Paul, in Acts 28, all these things have happened. He's been in prison, right? So he's already, you know the whole thing. We won't take the time about the voyage to Rome, the shipwreck. He gets bit by the snake. He finally gets to Rome. He finds out that in Rome, the Jewish leaders in Rome actually did not know about the accusations by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. They didn't have cell phones and, and TV and CNN and those things. So they did, the Jewish leaders in Rome didn't know that Paul had already stood trial in Jerusalem and, and that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were trying to kill him. And what does Paul do? Immediately when he gets to Rome, he calls and asks for the Jewish leaders to be assembled together so that he can share his testimony to them. Now, what would most of us do? Let's be honest. If we made it to Rome, the last thing we're going to do is call the very people who are trying to get us killed in prison so that we can rile them up like we got them all riled up in Jerusalem, right? But Paul, as soon as he got to Rome, asked to have the the Jewish leaders assembled so he could share his testimony with them because of the calling in his heart. So he put on the armor of God. And my point up there is consistently. See, if we consistently put on the armor of God, and if we consistently share our faith, then when those time, those opportunities come, like I had two weeks ago, we won't stumble. It, it will, we'll be able to share it with confidence and with faith. And, and people will come to Christ. And you know what's going to happen if we all start doing that? And it starts with me. If we all start doing that, you know what's going to happen? It's going to start being hard to find a seat in this auditorium. And those of you who like to sit at the back, you'll have to sit at the back because all the front rows are going to be filled, Brady. All right? I can't even see some of you back there. That's why Brady's always asking. Put on glasses. I still can't see some of your faces back there. So, but here's the thing. I know one thing. I know that every, oh, let me, so, so what happens after that? He said, it says after he did that for two whole years, because, again, he's, he's in prison in Rome, uh, but they let him on kind of like a house arrest type thing. Two whole years, Paul stayed there, welcomed all who came to see him. This is Acts 28, 30 through the 1. And this is what it says. Listen to this, please. All these trials have come. He's almost died so many times. He's been beaten almost to death. And he, it says, boldly and without hindrance, Paul preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Still on house arrest. And that's what I pray. I pray that that's what I will do and that all of us will do. So what we got to do is follow. If we want to be like those first Christians and we want to 
impact Platte City. If the calling community church is going to impact Platte City, we've got to be committed to our calling the Great Commission. We've got to develop a heart for the lost, and we've got to consistently put on an arm of God. And I've just got to, this is, this is one thing I really need you all to think about this. I started thinking about last night, and I shared this with my wife. Everybody in here is in one of three categories, Brady. We're all in one of three categories. There is no other category. All of us in here are in one of three categories. First, you're either like Paul, like my brother Brady Rogers, I believe this about him, and you are already committed, you have a heart for the lost, and you consistently put on the armor of God and share your faith, Brady. God bless you, man. So some of us are in that category. You're just like Paul, and every day you're boldly out there, man. He goes into the slums of Mexico City when he's down there on business, and he can have his life taken a minute. He doesn't care. He's down there sharing the gospel with people at midnight. It's amazing. He's just like Paul. And some of you in this auditorium are just like Paul. And I'm ashamed to admit, I can't right now stand here today and honestly say that I'm a part of that, Brady. But I hope that's going to change and somebody will be able to say that about me in the future. Uh, but here's the thing. Then the second group is you believe. You've already asked Christ into your heart. But you're not fulfilling the Great Commission and consistently sharing your faith. You believe. You're here. You come to church because you believe. You've already asked Christ in your heart. You know what it means to be saved. You've already had an encounter with the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. But you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. You're like me. You've been missing opportunities. You've been missing opportunities to share your faith. The third category is you're almost persuaded, like King Agrippa said. King Agrippa actually said later in there, did you actually think that you could convert me to Christianity? That's what he said to Paul. In this short time that you were here, did you actually think you could convert me to Christianity? He was almost persuaded. If you're in this church today, if you're sitting in this auditorium today, and you haven't had an encounter with God and asked him to become your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to say you're in that category. You're almost persuaded because you're here. You're investigating. That's why you're right? But that's the only three categories. You're already like Paul, sharing faithfully every day, fulfilling the Great Commission, or you're a believer already, but you haven't been fulfilling the Great Commission, and you just come in here and fill up a pew on Sunday, and I'm ashamed to admit, I'm sorry, that's why I said I'm not worthy of this message, because I've been in that category, and I pray to God that he'll give me the boldness so that I'll change, or you don't know Christ. So here's the applications, and then Brady's going to come. If you're already like Paul, and you could honestly say this morning, you have a sincere heart for seeing the lost come to a saving knowledge of Christ, and you are consistently sharing your faith, like Brady Testor from Brady Rogers, and I know there's other leaders in here. Here's what I'm going to ask you, leaders. Here's your application, because you're already doing what Paul's been doing. Mentor and train up and teach the rest of us how to do that like you. Disciple. If you're already doing it, and I know, Brady, you do this, but there's others too, then it's on you to create other disciples, to be like you. So mentor the other church members here and disciple the other church members so they can have the boldness like you have. If you're already asked Christ to forgive you of your sins and you have had that encounter with Christ, and you're sitting here today and you say, well, I already know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I've made that decision. I know where I'm going if I die. You already have that confidence, but you can't honestly say that you are actively, on a consistent basis, putting the armor of God and fulfilling the Great Commission. 
then here's what you've got to do. You've got to pray for the Holy Spirit to put a burning desire in your heart and a boldness to share your faith with the lost who need the Savior. And that's my prayer for me today, and it's my prayer for you as well. Because here's the thing. Listen to this. If you've had an encounter with Jesus, if you've had an encounter with Jesus, you are to be an encounter for Jesus, with Jesus for someone else. That really hit me this week as I was studying for this. I've had an encounter with Jesus. I've had that. So now it's on me to carry out the Great Commission and to be an encounter with Jesus for those who haven't had that opportunity, who are walking around blind and lost. And that's, that's my prayer if you're in that same category. And then lastly, if this morning you're almost persuaded, like King Agrippa, you have a knowledge of the Bible, but you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. You've never asked him to become Lord and Savior, to forgive you of your sin, sins. I'm going to ask you, please don't procrastinate. Pastor Brady has been up here pleading with people because he knows there are people that have been attending week after week that haven't made that decision yet, haven't had that encounter. He's been pleading with you to come forward, just like Paul pleaded with Agrippa. And I'm just going to mention this. Don't procrastinate. Procrastinating with eternal matters is serious business. So why procrastinate anymore? Why procrastinate anymore? Make today the day. Make today the day. Come forward. Brady will be so happy to share with you and the other leaders. will be so happy to share with you how you can change your life and you can experience the amazing. Think about what would cause Paul to be willing to risk his life and all those early Christians so much because of what they had in Christ. And you can have the same very thing that changed Paul's life and changed those early Christians' life. There's a song. I was looking this up. And actually, when I looked it up, the first song that came up on, on the Internet was by Josh Turner. You guys heard of the country singer Josh Turner? Uh, it's an old hymn, so I was looking up the words. And when I was, typed that in, this song by Josh, the country singer Josh Turner came up. And I didn't realize he had done the, the hymn. He had, he had recorded the hymn. Here's the words to it. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, go spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. Procrastination. Here's the last verse. Almost persuaded, come, come today. Almost persuaded, turn not away. Jesus invites you here. Angels are lingering here. Prayers rise from hearts so dear. O wanderer, come. Can I pray with you real quickly? Our Father, we are stirred as we review the appearance of the great apostle before this royal court. We heard the stirring words of Paul. Father, as I was reading this, I could feel the sincerity of Paul's heart and the truth of what he said. And Father, I'm, I'm so grateful that you, our Heavenly Father, that today the same mighty delivering power that you gave Paul is just as available to me. It's just as available to every person in this church here today. That we can turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and so they can be forgiven of their sins and they can be set free and they can have an inheritance that you promised us, a new position with you so they can live eternally. And so I just pray that you'll let us be like Paul, Lord, 
as he writes to the Romans, as he wrote to the Romans in Romans 1, that he was not ashamed of the gospel. And I just, I just pray that in this room today that we found this to be true. And that if you're here today without liberty and freedom this morning, that you'll reject Agrippa's response. But this morning you'll cry out and pray these words, Lord Jesus, I need you in my heart. I ask you to enter in, forgive me of my sins, and deliver me as you delivered Paul. Be my Lord, save me now. And I pray these things in the Father's name. Amen. Thanks again for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. We hope it leaves you encouraged. If you need more information about the church or need to talk to someone about prayer or faith in Jesus, please visit our website, thecallingcommunitychurch.com and fill out the contact form. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a blessed day.